Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Now we're on. Hallelujah. I should have got my third grader up here to figure that out. Well, if you have your Bibles, after that wonderful uh, choir uh, anthem, we come to some of the last words of Simon Peter. But his work went on, didn't he? And we're reading it today, some 2,000 years later. Next week, we're going to look at his very last words, and we're going to ask the question, Beloved, are you steadfast? But today, as we look at the text, we come to this question, Beloved, are you learning the Bible? Are you learning the Bible? And today, we're going to see in this text some of the wonderful tools that God has given us to learn the Bible, to learn the Bible. Second Peter 3 is a series of five subjects that Peter is giving us, each set off by that wonderful term, beloved. It's a great privilege and blessing and grace of God to be referred to as the beloved. And he does so in this chapter. And I think we need to consider that in light of his first epistle that we have been through, how he encourages us and teaches us to be faithful in our testimony for truth, our testimony for Christ during trying times. And then in this second epistle, through these weeks we have considered bearing the truth, maintaining, standing for the truth during trying times of falsehood and false teachers and the scoffers that we see very much in our world today, uh, challenging, stomping upon the truth of God as best they can and not wanting to be accountable to Him and certainly denying the fact that we will stand one day before Him and be judged for our deeds. Unless you're under the blood of Christ and if you're saved, your, your, your judgment has already taken place on the cross. And so He is gaining great intensity and He comes to us now and He talks to us about the Word of God, the Bible. Because to be loyal to the King and to be faithful to the Lord... In these days, especially, we're going to have to be people of the book. People of the book. Always learning and always applying the truths of Scripture. As a matter of fact, um, Baptists have been called people of the book. This is our authority. We don't have any denomination or publishing house or any creed that is our authority. The Word of God is our authority. 
And I pray we will always be people of the book. And uh, I hope and pray and sure we will be here at First Baptist Church. And so let's read uh, chapter 3. I want to begin with verse 14. And just um, real quickly, Peter has been telling us about uh, people who are denying the coming of the Lord and they're, they're saying, you know, we're not going to be judged. God is this way or God is not this way. And they fabricated their whole idea about God and He's not going to judge. There's no sin. This is not sin. And then we saw last week that Peter speaks of their arrogance and he says, but the day of the Lord will come and it will be a day of wrath and judgment upon sin. And he says, but you, brethren, beloved, don't, don't, don't forget it will not overtake you because you have been redeemed by the grace of God. And then he moves forward and he says this, Wherefore, beloved, verse 14, Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, we redeem this time. This God is very patient, and He wants men to come to repentance. He wants people to be saved. And He's telling us here, You, the beloved of God, use this time to share the gospel, to win men and women and boys and girls to Christ, to be on mission. Don't let this time go away, for the day of the Lord is coming. And then he says, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking, of the, in, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter gives us in this text one of the most encouraging, blessed truths about the Scriptures. This is a wonderful text of Scripture for me. I am thrilled to be preaching this text of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you why it's such a thrill in a few moments, probably about 45 minutes into the message. I'm just kidding. But you're not laughing. You, you, you believe that could be so. But anyway, he gives us here, first of all, the doctrine of the Scripture. So I ask the question, brethren, beloved, are you learning the Bible? Let us first of all concern the doctrine of the Scripture. Verse 15, he speaks of the doctrine of the Scripture. Now already in chapter 1 and verse 19, Peter has already given us one of the most definitive statements on the Bible from the Bible. He has said in these verses, we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, Peter had just talked about that time when him and 
and James and John walked up the mountaintop with Christ Jesus and a glorious event happened. They were transfigured. It was a, Christ was transfigured. It was a wonderful, glorious experience. Uh, so much so that Peter wanted to build three churches up there, one for Moses and Elijah and one for Christ. And, and um, they hated to come down from the mountain. And all these years later, 30 years later, Peter writes these words and he says, I experienced that. I saw that with my own two eyes. I was there. But even more convincing and more sure than what I saw and what I experienced are the pages of the Holy Bible. And he tells us that our authority is not in our experiences. Our authority needs to be the Word of God. If the Bible says that the sky is going to fall, we believe the sky is falling. But if we walk outside and the sky is falling and we open up our Bible and it says the sky will never fall, the sky is not falling. You just think it is, amen? That's how much we need to believe in the authority of Scripture. But he goes on to say in these wonderful verses, he says, Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The Word of God will give you light. It will, it will shine a light on every decision you have to make. It will give you the light to live by. It will guide you. And then he says, also in this text, verse 20 of chapter 1, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you don't get to come up with it on your own. Nobody just all of a sudden woke up one day and said, I believe I'm going to write something down, call it the Word of God, and it will be so. Oh, no, sir. The Bible says, for the prophecy, the Word of God, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is the inspiration of the Bible. This is how we got the Bible. The Holy Spirit gave it to men, inspired them, and they penned its words. And so this is very very important. That's what he said earlier. And now, Peter is about to die. He knows it. And among the final words that he writes that will live on forever, he tells us about the doctrine of the Word of God, the Bible itself. And he says in our text, even as our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles. And so Peter basically tells us of two things here in the text. He tells us of the initiation of the Bible. It did not come by the will of man. And he tells us of the inspiration of the Bible. Holy men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost. And now he closes his writing and indeed his life and he speaks to us of the Bible again. But this time... In chapter 3, he tells us two more things about the Bible. First of all, he speaks to us on the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture. Now, what is the canon of Scripture? In my um, class at William Carey, both Old and New Testaments, 
one of the test questions on the first exam is, the canon of Scripture is, A, a big gun. B, the list of all books of the Bible. C, none of the above. D, and I can't remember because I hadn't taken the test in a long time. But I want to tell you, it'll surprise you how many will say it's a big gun. Well, the Bible is a big gun, isn't it? It'll do the business. But I want to tell you what the canon of Scripture is. The word canon simply means a measuring rod. That's the original meaning of it. All the way back, it means a measuring rod. And when you speak of the canon of Scripture, you are speaking of the list of individual books, including 2 Peter, that make up the Bible. You have the canon of the Old Testament, and you have the canon of the New Testament, the list of books that make up the Bible. And it, we apply the word canon to it because it is our measuring rod. All that we believe, all that we obey, all that is our authority fits within this measure called the Bible. If we stand up and preach anything that is outside of this measure, we can fall into liberalism and legalism and be, and be uh, totally out of whack and teach people a wrong way. Or if we fail to teach everything, the whole counsel of God, within that measuring rod called the Bible, the canon of Scripture, we will fall short in many, many ways. So he tells us of the canon of Scripture. And in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he speaks of the prophets of the Old Testament. But in our text, he speaks of Paul and the other apostles. And what he is teaching us is here is the canon of Scripture was given, the truths of the Scripture that make up the canon, was given to the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. And all the prophets are dead. And all the apostles are dead. They were offices that are said and done. There are no more prophets and there are no more apostles. All of the certified books of the Old Testament were written by prophets. And all of the certified books of the New Testament were written by apostles or superintended by apostles. There are no more apostles. Now anybody can get up and say, I'm an apostle, and a thousand and more people will believe him, but that does not make him or her an apostle. An apostle was somebody who was ordained by God for a specific time and transition, and that was to bring us the truths of the New Testament. The book of Hebrews speaks of the apostles in the past tense. In other words, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, we are a dead breed. We are dying out and we are no more. And so I want to tell you, old John was the last apostle. Why would anybody want to have somebody in 2022 give us more of the Word of God or in 1932 give us more of the Word of God when we can't handle the book we've had for 2,000 years? Amen. You don't need any more Bible. The canon of Scripture is closed. No more prophets and no more apostles. The canon is closed. And God gave prophets these words and the Holy Spirit used their personalities and guided them to write. You read about Amos the country boy. You read about Obadiah, the obscure man. You read about David, the singer. You read about Solomon, the wise man. 
all those personalities God used and superintended His Word upon them, and they pinned them with accuracy and without error. And God did the same thing to the apostles. He needed a quick book, a book for the Romans. And what did He do? He raised up a young man by the name of Mark. And He gave Mark the... He gave Peter superintendence over Mark, and Mark penned the Gospel of Mark. And you read about how quick Mark... Oh, we needed a philosopher. We needed somebody who could rise above the earthly thinking and get on into the heavenlies. And he gave us a John who wrote the Gospel. We needed a brilliant genius to give us theology. We needed a brash, loud mouth to tell us, boys, you better fry right during hard times. And he gave us a Peter. Amen. He used their personalities and they penned the Word of God with accuracy and without error. Amen. The Bible is truth in every area of it speak, in which it speaks or it is not the Word of God because we would have a God who can make a mistake. That's good preaching, but you agree with So we have the canon of Scripture. But also in verse 3, chapter 3 and verse 15, in the doctrine of Scripture, he not only tells us about the canon, but he tells us about the content of Scripture. Peter refers to the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he equivocates them to the writing of the prophets and all the apostles, the other apostles. And he speaks to them as all the scriptures. Notice what he says in speaking of the canon of the Bible in general and the epistles of Paul in particular. He says they contain the wisdom that God gave unto him. The wisdom of God is the content of Scripture. God's Word written by holy men, moved by the Holy Spirit to pen this God-breathed book. God has put it in our hands and preserved it for thousands of years so that we over here in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, can open up its pages and read what God said and always says. We have the content of Scripture. And so Peter encourages us in his dying day, in his dying days, he's soon to be executed by Nero's horde. And he says, Beloved, beloved, learn the Bible. Study the epistles of Paul. Study all the scriptures and learn to apply it. And he reminds us of its authenticity, of its accuracy, that it is a light and a lamp unto us. It is His revelation to us. God speaks to us through this book. God speaks to us through this book. It's how we know Him. So He tells us about the doctrine of Scripture. And I just want to tell you, it's a, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, inerrant, infallible, truth without any mixture of error in every area of which it speaks. That's my conviction. It has been from day one, and it hadn't changed yet. And I will tell you this, it's not a scientific book, but when the Bible speaks scientifically, it does so with accuracy. You read the book of Job, that's a scientific book. It's an amazing, there's a lot of science in the book of Job. And old Job talks about the stars, and he talks about the snow, and he talks about everything, and he talks about uh, creation, He even talks about dinosaurs. 
And old Job lays it out. And you know what? It's never been contradicted by any real, real, honest science. The Bible is not a history book, but when it speaks to history, it does so accurately. Go get you some good books on archaeology and read about archaeology. And you will find that the spade of the archaeologist doesn't prove the Bible. The Holy Spirit's the one who proves the Bible. But it never contradicts the Bible. I want to tell you what I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And that's why, uh, well, that's why I'm here and that's why I'm still here. I, don't, I think if I believed anything less, you'd run me off. And you know what? I hope I'd have enough integrity that if I didn't believe the Bible, I'd leave the pulpit and go uh, sell shoes or something, you know? Amen? The doctrine of Scripture. But second, Peter tells us something else. He tells us the difficulty of Scripture. This is very encouraging to me. This is what I like. This is a blessing to me. Peter is talking about the false teachers and their condemnation and how to combat them. And he says they are going to face the judgment of God and they will stand before the Lord one day and answer for their falsehoods and their lies and their deception. And he tells us that Christians look for the day of God when Christ will rule and reign and we will have our eternal state before the Lord. And he said false teachers have the wrath of God ahead of them the day of the Lord and he tells us how to live. And then in verse 15, he says, Paul talked about all of these things. And he says, you're familiar with the letters of Paul. Now, there's some debate in circles about just what particular letters he was talking about. And we need to be reminded of who Peter wrote to. He wrote to those saints of God scattered in Asia Minor. So those letters that went up in that area. But more than that, Peter says all of the scriptures. And so we can make a blanket statement and say everything that Paul wrote here in the pages of the Bible, Peter says are God's word and we need to be familiar with them. But then he says something that is very encouraging. He says, he's hard to understand. Now I'm encouraged because if Peter the apostle had a hard time understanding Paul, it's not so bad that puny little Mike Barnett has a hard time understanding Paul. Be weary of the man who says he has it all figured out. Right? I want to tell you what, it's a, it's a journey. And so Peter says here, man, he's hard to understand. Especially when he writes about the second coming of Christ. To keep it in strict context with this chapter 3 of 2 Peter. It's hard to understand. You know, one reason it's hard to understand is we've never experienced anything like the second coming of Christ. People say, well, what's the rapture going to be like? Well, all I can tell you is what the Bible says, but I don't know what it's going to feel like because I haven't been raptured. Right? You'll have to ask one of those guys who was kidnapped by aliens, I guess. I don't know. Don't do that. They're crazy. But I want to tell you, uh, you uh, it's hard to understand. Paul is difficult to understand. Let me read it to you. He says, Even as our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. 
Now, there's a whole lot of gymnastics about that. What does that mean, hard to understand? Hard to understand. Well, I did a Greek exegesis of every word and every article and all the punctuation. And you know what it means in the Greek? Paul is hard to understand. There's some difficulty understanding the Apostle Paul. I'm just thankful that I'm not the only one who has problems understanding what Paul had to say. Isn't that encouraging? It is encouraging unless you've got it all figured out, then let's trade places. But I want to tell you, um, even Peter found it difficult. Now, don't be guilty of getting outside the measurement. Don't be guilty of running too far with this. He said Paul is H-A-R-D to understand. He did not say Paul is impossible to understand. Because there's always somebody who wants to run with this and use it as an excuse for remaining ignorant. Did you hear what I said? Oh, well, he's hard to understand. I believe I'll just stay ignorant. They use it as an excuse for their laziness to not pursue the Word of God. And they will use it as an excuse for their misinterpretation. Paul is hard to understand. The Bible is hard to understand. Peter admits that. He comes out and says, I have a hard time with it. Let me tell you why Paul and much of the Scripture is hard for us to comprehend and understand because there's a lot of noise when we go to consider it, the truth of the Bible. First of all, there's our own sinful flesh that doesn't want us to learn the Bible. Everything we do that woos us to heaven, that draws us to a deeper walk with Christ and gives us more knowledge of God, that sinful flesh of ours is going to resist. I don't understand everything Paul says, but he tells us that in the book of Galatians. He says the flesh after you're saved war against each other. And they do. Let me just put it to you this way. Have you ever sat down and decided, I'm going to start every day reading my Bible in the morning before I go to work? I'm going to read God's Word and pray, and you hadn't read three words, and you're already having a hard time doing it. You already are being told in your own mind you're wasting your time. You're already being distracted. You already have a thousand thoughts popping into your head. Can I get a witness? Folks, that's you and that's me, whether you agree, whether you think it or not. That's your sinful flesh coming against it. And you know what you got to do? You just got to keep on going. We also have a loud world out there that is against you learning the Word of God. The world hates the Word of God. And it'll distract you every time it gets a chance. The devil will use the world to distract you every time it can. You'll be sitting down wanting to pray, read your Bible, hear from God. And I want to tell you what, the devil will get one of your best friends to give you a phone call. Amen. Right? Or the devil will say, hey, you need to walk outside. You never heard that bird sound before. Right? Oh, you left the dishes in the sink. 
you better go clean it up. Am I telling you the truth? And the third, you have the devil himself. The demons of hell will come against you. And the word of God is spiritually discerned. And so it takes some effort. It takes some death to the flesh. It takes some some, uh, warfare against the devil every time you open the pages. And I venture to say every single time the word of God is preached. There's a spiritual warfare against the flesh against the world and against the devil taking place every, every time. Because this is what God wants us to know right here. And so Peter tells us about the difficulty with the Word of God. And he tells us three things that you have. If you're saved and you know Jesus as your Savior, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have three things that are your tools for understanding the Word of God that Peter talks about. I'm going to give them to you. Number one, you have the ability to profit from the Scriptures. You have the ability to profit from the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul, who wrote to us many things that are hard to understand, Brother Larry, also gave us this truth that is easy to understand. He said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, you, the child of God, the servant of the Lord, the man of God, the woman of God, may be perfect, complete, have everything you need and be thoroughly furnished as a workman in all good works. So Paul says, and Peter affirms it by talking about Paul in our text, that you have the ability as a person of God, saved, born again, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit to profit from the Scriptures. Your flesh and the devil will tell you it's a waste of time. But God says, oh, no, no, no. Don't listen to them. You profit from it. It's profitable for you. Now, notice uh, something very interesting, what it profits you for. That is a great, it is a great example right here in our text. And it is uh, something that the world doesn't want you to hear. It is profitable to correct you. Do you know we live in a world today that doesn't want to be corrected? Have you stood up lately and told anybody they're wrong lately? Have you ever disagreed? Have you, have you disagreed with anybody? There's a certain element in our culture you disagree with them, they're going to be on our front steps with protest signs. Or they're going to get mad. They're going to get angry. But God says, my word is profitable to correct you. And I imagine when old Peter wrote the words of our text, he remembered an encounter he had with Paul. He's a testimony to this. Early on, there was a great conflict between Peter and Paul. They had some issues. It almost went to blows with Peter's personality, I am sure. Paul speaks of it in Galatians chapter 2. What had happened is, is Paul and Barnabas 
had returned from their first missionary journey. Oh, they went out with a bang. Remember they had old John Mark with them and, and Mark left them? And, uh, but anyway, they, they come back from that first missionary journey and boy, they'd preached the gospel and Gentiles, for the, Gentiles in mass were saved. Gentiles came to Christ. It's an amazing thing. And so Paul and Barnabas go back and they are reporting to the Jews what had happened. And some of the Jews get upset. You mean to tell me that the same thing that's happened to us happened to the Gentiles? Now you've got to understand, they, they didn't like Gentiles. There was, some, there, there was a, lot of, a lot of conflict in there. They just didn't mix, all right? And now these Gentiles are getting saved. And James, the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he says, man, praise the Lord. Let's just make sure that everything's in order and everything's in line. But there were some of those Jews who said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen on my watch. Those Gentiles have to become Jews first, then they can be saved. Then they can become a Christian. And some of them said they can't be Christians at all. There were some serious problems in the church at large over this idea of evangelism amongst the Gentiles. So, nonetheless, they were in Antioch, and they were up in Galatia, the Galatia area, and everything was going well. It seemed like the issue was settled. And old Peter and Paul and Barnabas were all there and some other leaders, and they were fellowshipping with the church, and they were encouraging the church, Jews and Gentiles. Everything was going great. Peter was doing real well. And then all of a sudden, some of those Judaizers, those Jews, those hardline Jews showed up. They walked into the fellowship hall. They walked into the activities building across the street. And they saw what was going on. Jews eating with Gentiles. And Peter was sitting there eating his pork chop. Because he had done seen the sheep. Amen. And he was excited. And all of a sudden, he looks up and sees the Judaizers. And what does he do? He pushes it away. He walks away and he goes over there to that clique of Jews. And he begins to show disdain and disrespect and dishonor for his Gentile brothers. And Paul sees it. Ooh, boy, you talk about a church business meeting going awry. Paul says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but then when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, the Jews. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. That word dissembled means hypocrite. Peter led that group to be hypocritical and they did like he did. Even Barnabas, faithful, encouraging Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And Paul says, but when I saw that, they walked not uprightly. 
according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you being a Jew live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews? Peter, you're out of line. And you need to get in line. And you need to straighten up. Peter, you're wrong. That was a face-to-face confrontation in front of people. See, because confrontation biblically needs to take place in private if it's private. It needs to be as public as public as the sin is. And so whoever was there heard that conversation and Paul straightened him out. Now, we're talking about how the Word of God is profitable. Now, some years later, Peter is writing his last words and he says, Our beloved Paul has given us scriptures that are hard to understand. And I imagine he put his pen down and he said, but i tell you one thing I understood. (laughs) When he confronted me to the face and said I was wrong. And now Peter is faithful and loving Paul for confronting him with the word of God. The word of God proved profitable for Peter's correction. And it will for you. It will profit you. And if you're saved, you have that ability to surrender your will to the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. Isn't that a wonderful story? And now everything's hunky-dory. They're getting along. They're getting along. Peter loved the man who rebuked him because he knew the Word of God says open rebuke is better than secret love. And Paul took some courage. It took some courage for Paul. Paul knew about Peter. You know, Peter was always brash. Right? Peter would throw up his fist before he'd do anything else. But he confronted him anyway because the gospel was at stake. It was serious business. The gospel was at stake. The salvation of Gentiles. If Paul had not confronted Peter, there might have been a series of events that had prevented the gospel from getting across the sea to Mississippi. And you and I would be lost. But old Paul used the word of God and Peter was corrected by it. And now he says, I love Paul. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? But in Baptist churches, we get mad at the preacher. No, I'm just kidding. If you profit from God's word, you will understand it. Paul risked a falling out so Peter could have a falling in. When you receive the word of God, By being corrected and changing your behavior, that light that corrects you increases to encourage you and give you instruction. That's what it does. So the first thing you have to understand the Word of God is you have the ability, because the Holy Spirit's within you, to profit from it. Second of all, you have a pure mind. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You have a pure mind. Peter says, the purpose of this second letter, beloved, uh, is to stir you up. The word means to wake you up. And so, yes, the church needs to be woke. In our culture of woke, we need to be woke. But we need to be woke to the word of God. The word means to wake you up. It is used for the sea that is agitated by a storm. 
We need to be unsettled about false doctrine and what's going on in our world today, contrary to God's Word. He says this is possible because you have a pure mind if you're saved. You say, preacher, you don't understand the battle in my mind. Well, he's not talking about the struggle that you have. He's talking about your position in Christ. Paul says in the book of Philippians, if you're saved, you have the mind of Christ. You may be struggling. You may have a battle in your mind. You may have trouble with your thought life. You might be uh, struggling to keep focus. But Paul says, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. And Peter appeals to that. And he says, give diligence to that. He means that the Christian has the mind of Christ. Their thinking is different from the world because they have the mind of Christ. Your pure mind to stir you up by way of remembrance. So you have a pure mind. You have the mind you need. Third, there's another tool you have, and that is the preaching ministry of God's Word. The preaching and teaching ministry. Look what he says, the last word in verse 3, or verse 1 of chapter 3, remembrance. Remembrance. We've heard this before. Way back in chapter 1, verse 12, Peter says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, the truths of God. He said to stir you up. And he says, I'm about to die, and I'm even trying to find a way where I can keep on, where the worker can keep on. And he did. He wrote his first and second Peter. And so you have the preaching ministry. God has given to the church gifted teachers and gifted preachers who have the ability to study God's Word and present it in ways that help people understand it to help people comprehend it. Thank God for Bible teachers and Bible preachers. The only, well, many warnings about that, but I want to tell you, uh, I would tell younger preachers, do not attempt to be fresh. Just be faithful to the Scriptures. Do not think that you have to keep trying to find something new We're not called to find anything new. We're called to preach the old. We're called to remind you. I'm just a reminder. Can you believe that? That's very humble. But it's also very helpful because, man, I'd hate to have to get up here and find out something new. You know? Preacher, is that a new message? No, it's as old as the Bible. You see? And so you have the preaching and teaching ministry. God, Paul said in very understandable ways, he said the church has been gifted with teachers and preachers to preach God's Word. Well, you know what? I want to tell you, I'm going to take this time before we move to the next point, tell you it's a privilege to preach here at First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. It's been my privilege for 21 years and a half years to preach here. I've gotten up here on many occasions and laid an egg. But I want to tell you what, through it all, you know, I was counting this morning. We have preached verse by verse through 27 and a half books of the Bible in 21 years. And I'm not bragging about that because that's duty and it's a privilege 
But the Bible needs to be preached like the Bible's written. And it's given into us in books, and we need to preach it in books. Verse by verse through the Scriptures. You say, what are the half books? Psalm and Proverbs. I've preached a lot from Psalms and a lot from Proverbs, but not completely. And so I will tell you that uh, that's it. And that's what needs to be done. And that's why we preach uh, verse by verse through the Word of God. I have one regret. I wish, I wish I had, when I first got here, I wish I had started in Genesis and just gone all the way through and not, you know, gone from Old Testament to New Testament. I wish I, I had done that, Miss Tracy, and preached it all the way through like Dr. Criswell did in First Baptist Church of Dallas years ago. It took him 17 years. But it's too late now. So we'll just do what we're doing. Amen. You all right with that? So we have, you have what you, you have what you need to understand the scriptures if you're saved. But verse 16, he gives us another dimension. He talks about the distortion of scripture. Verse 16, real quick. He says, because some things are hard to be understood, and when you do not apply yourself to understanding them, It's easy to fall prey to false teachers. It's easy to rest, W-R-E-S-T, the Scriptures. The word rest in the King James Version there in verse 16, it's an old English word and it means to put on the rack and stretch out. It was an instrument of torture. And he says some people, because it's hard to be understood, they will torture the Scripture. They twist it around. And he says there's two kinds of people who do this. Look at verse 16. He says, first of all, the unlearned. It means the undisciplined. They lack information. But then he says the unstable. The unstable. They lack consistency. They are not stable in their walk with Christ if they are walking with Christ at all. Peter mentioned these back in chapter 2 and verse 14. And he's referring to false teachers. And he says they have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. So it's that same word. And so because it's hard to be understood, it's easy to torture the Scriptures and twist it around to mean what you mean. And so such are false teachers, and many of them are on purpose. Some of them are not. We've got to be gracious. They need a little help. And I had a young pastor that uh, Tracy and I met, and he just started preaching, and he said to me, he said, my biggest fear and, and the problem I have is, is I'm afraid I'm going to be wrong. He said, I'm afraid I'm going to get up and preach something that's wrong. He said, so I, I just study and study and pray. And he said, I, I, the first thought when I step in the pulpit is, is I may be wrong. And he said, I don't know what to do about it. And I said, brother, let me tell you something. As long as you're worried about it, you won't be wrong. And if, if, if God gives you a peace and a certainty and a conviction in your heart and you have a desire that you have got to say it or you're going to explode, get up there and say it so you don't explode. And you won't be wrong. You, won't, you might be wrong on a detail, but you're not going to lead those people astray. God will straighten the, the little minor stuff out. And so uh, you're not, he wasn't unstable. And so some people might not do it on purpose. They're unlearned, but some are unstable souls, and they have impure motives with the Word of God. 
So, don't get ready to go yet. I want to give you just a few things to hang your hat on about this. What do you do? How do you learn the Bible? How, how do you overcome hard things? Well, first of all, number one, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you indwelt by the Holy Spirit? If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have these three tools. You have the ability to profit from Scripture. You have a pure mind. You have the mind of Christ. God has given you that nature. And then you have the preaching ministry. You have the local church. A good, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And you need to be faithful to it. And that's the second thing. Be faithful. Be a faithful attender to a Bible-preaching church. Test the spirits, no doubt. But be a faithful attender of a good, solid, Bible-preaching church. If you're visiting with us from out of town... Go back to your church and stay there if it's a Bible-preaching church. If you're here, I want to tell you what. We're going to do everything we can to be a Bible-preaching church. But also, listen to this. I think what we have in, 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 in our culture today is a self based approach to the Bible. And uh, this is real practical. You've got to get this. So listen up. People have problems. They have issues. They have self-esteem problems. They, have, uh, they don't feel good about themselves or different situations. And they, they want answers. They want help. They want to be encouraged. They want to find a solution to a problem they're having. Life is wrought with problems and issues. People hurt. They want to go to the Bible. Looking for looking for an answer to their problems. They're looking for a solution to the issue they're facing. They're looking for a resolution to how they feel about themselves, regardless of guilt, whatever it may be. And so they go to the Bible and they try to find that. And soon they'll give up because they just don't seem to find it. So I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Now, folks, this is, this, is, this is something you need to do if you want to understand God's Word. Don't go to the Bible to find out an answer to your problem. when you pray, go and say, God, show me you. This book is different from any other book that will help you and profit you. There's a lot of books out there that will profit you. They really are. But this book is totally different. Those books give you 
an answer to the problem. They give, you a solu- they give you a solution to your problem. This book gives you the solver of your problem. Did you hear me? This book gives you the one who is the solution to your problem. This book gives you God reconciling the world, you, unto himself in Christ Jesus. So what you do is, is you, you open up the Bible. I do this every day. Lord, I'm about to read my Bible this morning and have my quiet time, my devotional time, whatever the case may be. And it's, I'm reading, right now I'm reading through Jeremiah. And I want to tell you what, Jeremiah's like Paul. There's a whole lot of things in there hard to understand. But I just say, Lord, show me you. Teach me something about you. We're going to be starting Obadiah in two weeks after we finish 2 Peter. Little Obadiah. Somebody said, how long are we going to be in Obadiah? If the Lord wills, we'll be in Obadiah for six weeks. And somebody said, preacher, how in the world can you spend six weeks in that little book, Obadiah, that most of us can't find? Well, once I found it, amen, once I found it, I still have to go to the index to find it. Once I found Obadiah, I said, God, show me you. Show me something about you. I don't want to see about me. Because, see, when Isaiah went and saw the Lord in the temple, then he saw himself clearly. So before God shows you you, he wants to show you himself. He created you. And so I went to Obadiah and I said, God, I'm about to read Obadiah to begin preparation for preaching through Obadiah. Show me you. And he gave me eight principles of God that we're going to look at over a six-week period, Lord willing. See, that's what you do. And I want to tell you what, and then when you see what God, who God is, and His principles and His character and His light and who He is... Then you say, God, help me apply that. Walk me through that today. And that's how you do it. And so it may not always be that that our takeaway, it may be our approach. And you approach, show me God. You're in Ezekiel? I don't understand that. God, what does it say about you? Show me something about your character. And then you have the problem solver You know about the problem solver, and that problem solver can be solved to any problem instead of batting from one problem to the next. Amen. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. I'm glad I learned that a long time ago. Let's stand for our song of appeal. And if you have a decision to make, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and he's saying to you I want you to be saved I want you to know Christ I want you to come to the Lord I'll be up front ready to receive you as we sing here in a moment or maybe if you want to unite with our church family and you're saved and you know the Lord and you want to unite with our church family we want to help you with that decision and that commitment Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. And you come. Just walk down that aisle. I'm right up front. 
This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.